Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash support for more information. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Tonight, I will be reading The Miraculous Picture, a myth adapted by Nathaniel Hawthorne and found in his wonder book. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. 
one evening in times long ago. Old Philemon and his old wife, Baucis, sat at their cottage door, enjoying the calm and beautiful sunset. They had already eaten their frugal supper and intended now to spend a quiet hour or two before bedtime. So they talked together about their garden and their cow and their bees and their grapevine which clamoured over the cottage wall and on which the grapes were beginning to turn purple. But the rude shouts of children and the fierce barking of dogs in the village near at hand grew louder and louder until at last it was hardly possible for Baucis and Philemon to hear each other speak. Ah, wife, cried Philemon, I fear some poor traveller is seeking hospitality among our neighbours yonder, and instead of giving him food and lodging, they have set their dogs at him, as their custom is. Well a day, answered old Baucis, I do wish our neighbours felt a little more kindness for their fellow creatures, and only think of bringing up their children in this naughty way and patting them on the head when they fling stones at strangers. Those children will never come to any good, said Philemon, shaking his white head. To tell you the truth, wife, I should not wonder if some terrible thing were to happen to all the people in the village, unless they mend their manners. But, as for you and me, so long as providence affords us a crust of bread, let us be ready to give half to any poor, homeless stranger that may come along and need it. That's right, husband, said Baucis, so we will. These old folks, you must know, were quite poor and had to work pretty hard for a living. Old Philemon toiled diligently in his garden while Baucis was always busy with her distaff, or making a little butter and cheese with her cow's milk, or doing one thing and another about the cottage. Their food was seldom anything but bread, milk and vegetables, with sometimes a portion of honey from their beehive, and now and then a bunch of grapes that had ripened against the cottage wall. But they were two of the kindest old people in the world, and would cheerfully have gone without their dinners any day rather than refuse a slice of their brown loaf, a cup of new milk, and a spoonful of honey to the weary traveller who might pause before their door. They felt as if such guests had a sort of holiness, and they thought, therefore, to treat them better and more bountifully than their own selves. Their cottage stood on a rising ground at some short distance from a village, which lay in a hollow valley that was about a half mile in breadth. This valley, in past ages, when the world was new, had probably been the bed of a lake. There fishes had glided to and fro in the depths, and waterweeds had grown among the margin, and trees and hills had seen their reflected images in the broad and peaceful mirror. But as the water subsided, men had cultivated the soil and built houses on it, so that it was now a fertile spot and bore no traces of the ancient lake except a very small brook which meandered through the midst of the village and supplied the inhabitants with water. The valley had been dry land so long that oaks had sprung up and grown great and high and perished with old age 
and been succeeded by others as tall and stately as the first. Never was there a prettier or more fruitful valley. The very sight of the plenty around them should have made the inhabitants kind and gentle, and ready to show their gratitude to Providence by doing good to their fellow creatures. But, we are sorry to say, the people of this lovely village were not worthy to dwell in a spot on which heaven had smiled so beneficently. They were selfish and hard-hearted people, and had no pity for the poor, nor sympathy with the homeless. They would only have laughed had anybody told them that human beings owe a debt of love to one another, because there is no other method of paying the debt of love and care which all of us owe to Providence. You will hardly believe what I'm going to tell you. These naughty people taught their children to be no better than themselves and used to clap their hands by way of encouragement when they saw the little boys and girls run after some poor stranger shouting at his heels and pelting him with stones. They kept large and fierce dogs and whenever a traveller ventured to show himself in the village street, this pack of disagreeable curs scampered to meet him, barking, snarling and showing their teeth. Then they would seize him by his leg or by his clothes, just as it happened. And if he were ragged when he came, he was generally a pitiable object before he had time to run away. This was a very terrible thing to poor travellers, as you may suppose, especially when they chanced to be sick or feeble or old. Such persons, if they once knew how badly these unkind people and their unkind children and curs were in the habit of behaving, would go miles and miles out of their way rather than to pass through the village again. What made the matter worse, if possible, was that when rich persons came in their chariots or riding on beautiful horses with their servants in rich liveries, attending on them, Nobody could be more civil and obsequious than the inhabitants of the village. They would take off their hats and make the humblest bows you ever saw. If the children were rude, they were pretty certain to get their ears boxed. And as for the dogs, if a single cur in the pack presumed to yelp, his master instantly beat him with a club and tied him up without any supper. This would have been all very well, only it proved that the villagers cared much about the money that a stranger had in his pocket, and nothing whatever for the human soul, which lives equally in the beggar and the prince. So now you can understand why old Philemon spoke so sorrowfully when he heard the shouts of the children and the barking of the dogs at the further extremity of the village street. There was a confused din, which lasted a good while, and seemed to pass quite through the breadth of the valley. I never heard the dogs so loud, observed the good old man. Nor the children so rude, answered his good old wife. They sat shaking their heads one to another, while the noise came nearer and nearer, until, at the foot of the little eminence on which their cottage stood, they saw two travellers approaching on foot. Close behind them came the fierce dogs snarling at their very heels. A little further off ran a crowd of children who sent up shrill cries and flung stones at the two strangers with all their might. Once or twice, the younger of the two men, he was a slender and very active figure, 
turned about and drove back the dogs with the staff which he carried in his hand. His companion, who was a very tall person, walked calmly along as if disdaining to notice either the naughty children or the pack of curs, whose manners the children seemed to imitate. Both of the travellers were very humbly clad and looked as if they might not have money enough in their pockets to pay for a night's lodging. And this, I'm afraid, was the reason why the villagers had allowed their children and dogs to treat them so rudely. Come, wife, said Philemon to Baucis. Let us go and meet these poor people. No doubt they feel almost too heavy-hearted to climb the hill. Go you and meet them, answered Baucis, while I make haste within doors and see whether we can get them anything for supper. A comfortable bowl of bread and milk would do wonders towards raising their spirits. Accordingly, she hastened into the cottage. Philemon, on his part, went forward and extended his hand with so hospitable an aspect that there was no need of saying what, nevertheless, he did say, in the heartiest tone imaginable. Welcome, strangers, welcome. Thank you, replied the younger of the two, in a lively kind of way, notwithstanding his weariness and trouble. This is quite another greeting than we have met with yonder in the village. Pray, why do you live in such a bad neighbourhood? Ah, observed old Philemon with a quiet and benign smile. Providence put me here, I hope, among other reasons, in order that I may make you what amends I can for the inhospitality of my neighbours. Well said, old father, cried the traveller, laughing. And if the truth must be told, my companion and myself need some amends. Those children, the little rascals, have bespattered us finely with their mud balls and one of the curs has torn my cloak, which was ragged enough already. But I took him across the muzzle with my staff, and I think you may have heard him yelp, even thus far off. Philemon was glad to see him in such good spirits, nor indeed would you have fancied by the traveller's look and manner that he was weary with a long day's journey, besides being disheartened by rough treatment at the end of it. He was dressed in a rather odd way, with a sort of cap on his head, the brim of which stuck out over both ears. Though it was a summer evening, he wore a cloak which he kept wrapped close about him, perhaps because his undergarments were shabby. Philemon perceived, too, that he had on a singular pair of shoes, but as it was now growing dusk, and as the old man's eyesight was none the sharpest, he could not precisely tell in what the strangeness consisted. One thing certainly seemed strange. The traveller was so wonderfully light and active that it appeared as if his feet sometimes rose from the ground of their own accord or could only be kept down by an effort. I used to be light-footed in my youth, said Philemon to the traveller, but I always found my feet grow heavier towards nightfall. There's nothing like a good staff to help one along, answered the stranger, and I happen to have an excellent one, as you see. This staff, in fact, was the oddest-looking staff that Philemon had ever beheld. It was made of olive wood and had something like a pair of wings near the top. Two snakes carved in the wood were represented as twining themselves about the staff and were so very skillfully executed that old Philemon, whose eyes, you know, were getting rather dim, almost thought them alive and that he could see them wriggling and twisting. 
A curious piece of work, sure enough, said he. A staff with wings. It would be an excellent kind of stick for a little boy to ride astride of. By this time, Philemon and his two guests had reached the cottage door. Friends, said the old man, sit down and rest yourselves here on this bench. A good wife, Baucis, has gone to see what you can have for supper. We are poor folks, but you shall be welcome to whatever we have in the cupboard. The younger stranger threw himself carelessly on the bench, letting his staff fall as he did so. And here happened something rather marvellous, though trifling enough too. The staff seemed to get up from the ground of its own accord, and spreading its little pair of wings, it half hopped, half flew, and leaned itself against the wall of the cottage. There it stood quite still, except that the snakes continued to wriggle. But in my private opinion, old Philemon's eyesight had been playing him tricks again. Before he could ask any questions, the elder stranger drew his attention from the wonderful staff by speaking to him. Was there not, asked the stranger, in a remarkably deep tone of voice, a lake in very ancient times, covering the spot where now stands yonder village? Not in my day, friend, answered Philemon. And yet I am an old man, as you see. There were always the fields and the meadows, just as they are now, and the old trees, and a little stream murmuring through the midst of the valley. My father, nor his father before him, ever saw it otherwise, so far as I know. And doubtless it will still be the same when old Philemon shall be gone and forgotten. That is more than can be safely foretold, observed the stranger. And there was something very stern in his deep voice. He shook his head too, so that his dark and heavy curls were shaken with the movement. Since the inhabitants of yonder village have forgotten the affections and sympathies of their nature, it were better that the lake should be rippling over their dwellings again. The traveller looked so stern that Philemon was really almost frightened. The more so that, at his frown, the twilight seemed suddenly to grow darker, and that, when he shook his head, there was a roll as of thunder in the air. But in a moment afterwards, the stranger's face became so kindly and mild that the old man quite forgot his terror. Nevertheless, he could not help feeling that this elder traveller must be no ordinary personage, although he happened now to be attired so humbly and to be journeying on foot. Not that Philemon fancied him a prince in disguise, or any character of that sort, but rather some exceedingly wise man, who went about the world in this poor garb, despising wealth and old worldly objects, and seeking everywhere to add a mite to his wisdom. This idea appeared the more probable, because when Philemon raised his eyes to the stranger's face, he seemed to see more thought there in one look than he could have studied out in a lifetime. While Bossus was getting the supper, the travellers both began to talk very sociably with Philemon. The younger, indeed, was extremely loquacious and made such shrewd and witty remarks that the good old man continually burst out laughing and pronounced him the merriest fellow whom he had seen for many a day. Pray, my young friend, said he, as they grew familiar together, what may I call you? Why, I am very nimble, as you see, answered the traveller. So if you call me Quicksilver, 
The name will fit tolerably well. Quicksilver. Quicksilver, repeated Philemon, looking in the traveller's face to see if he was making fun of him. It is a very odd name. And your companion there, has he a strange one? You must ask the thunder to tell it to you, replied Quicksilver, putting on a mysterious look. No other voice is loud enough. This remark, whether it were serious or in jest, might have caused Philemon to conceive a very great awe of the elder stranger. If on venturing to gaze at him, he had not beheld so much beneficence in his visage. But undoubtedly, here was the grandest figure that ever sat so humbly beside a cottage door. When the stranger conversed, it was with gravity, and in such a way that Philemon felt irresistibly moved to tell him everything which he had most at heart. This is always the feeling that people have when they meet with anyone wise enough to comprehend all their good and evil, and to despise not a tittle of it. But Philemon, simple and kind-hearted old man that he was, had not many secrets to disclose. He talked, however, about the events of his past life, in the whole course of which he had never been a score of miles from this very spot. His wife Baucis and himself had dwelt in the cottage from their youth upward, earning their bread by honest labour, always poor, but still contented. He told what excellent butter and cheese Baucis made, and how nice were the vegetables which he raised in his garden. He said too that because they loved one another so very much, it was the wish of both that death might not separate them, but that they should die as they had lived together. As the stranger listened, a smile beamed over his countenance and made its expression as sweet as it was grand. You are a good old man, he said to Philemon, and you have a good old wife to be your helpmate. It is fit that your wish be granted. And it seemed to Philemon just then as if the sunset clouds threw up a bright flash from the west and kindled a sudden light in the sky. Baucis had now got supper ready and coming to the door began to make apologies for the poor fare which she was forced to set before her guests. Had we known you were coming, said she, my good man and myself would have gone without a morsel rather than you should lack a proper supper. But I took the most part of today's milk to make cheese and our last loaf is already half eaten. I never feel the sorrow of being poor save when a poor traveller knocks at our door. All will be very well. Do not trouble yourself, my good dame, replied the elder stranger kindly. An honest, hearty welcome to a guest works miracles with the fair and is capable of turning the coarsest food to nectar and ambrosia. A welcome you shall have, cried Baucis and likewise a little honey that we happen to have left, and a bunch of purple grapes besides. Why, Mother Bosses, it is a feast, exclaimed Quicksilver, laughing. An absolute feast. And you shall see how bravely I will play my part at it. I think I never felt hungrier in my life. Mercy on us, whispered Bosses to her husband. If the young man has such a terrible appetite, I'm afraid there will not be half enough supper. They all went into the cottage. And now, shall I tell you something that will make your eyes open very wide? It is really one of the oddest circumstances in the whole story. 
Quicksilver's staff, you recollect, had set itself up against the wall of the cottage. Well, when its master entered the door, leaving this wonderful staff behind, what should it do but immediately spread its little wings and go hopping and fluttering up the doorsteps? Tap, tap, went the staff on the kitchen floor. Nor did it rest until it had stood itself on end with the greatest gravity and decorum beside Quicksilver's chair. Old Philemon, however, as well as his wife, was so taken up in attending to their guests that no notice was given to what the staff had been about. As Bosses had said, there was but a scanty supper for two hungry travellers. In the middle of the table was a remnant of a brown loaf, with a piece of cheese on one side of it, and a dish of honeycomb on the other. There was a pretty good bunch of grapes for each of the guests. A moderately sized earthen pitcher, nearly full of milk, stood at a corner of the board. And when Bosses had filled two bowls and set them before the strangers, only a little milk remained in the bottom of the pitcher. Alas, it is a very sad business when a bountiful heart finds itself pinched and squeezed among narrow circumstances. Poor Bosses kept wishing that she might starve for a week to come if it were possible. By doing so, to provide these hungry folks a more plentiful supper. But since the supper was so exceedingly small, she could not help wishing that their appetites had not been quite so large. Why, at their very first sitting down, the travellers both drank off all the milk in their two bowls at a draught. A little more milk, kind Mother Bosses, if you please, said Quicksilver. The day has been hot, and I am very much athirst. Now, my dear people, answered Bosses in great confusion. I'm so sorry and ashamed. But the truth is, there is hardly a drop more milk in the pitcher. Oh, husband, why didn't we go without our supper? Why, it appears to me, cried Quicksilver, starting up from the table and taking the pitcher by the handle. It really appears to me that matters are not quite so bad as you represent them. Here is certainly more milk in the pitcher. So saying, and to the vast astonishment of bosses, he proceeded to fill not only his bowl, but his companions likewise from the pitcher that was supposed to be almost empty. The good woman could scarcely believe her eyes. She had certainly poured out nearly all the milk, and had peeped in afterwards and seen the bottom of the pitcher as she set it down upon the table. But I am old, thought bosses to herself and apt to be forgetful. I suppose I must have made a mistake. At all events, the pitcher cannot help being empty now, after filling the bowls twice over. What excellent milk, observed Quicksilver, after quaffing the contents of the second bowl. Excuse me, my kind hostess, but I must really ask you for a little more. Now Bossus had seen, as plainly as she could see anything, the Quicksilver had turned the pitcher upside down and consequently had poured out every drop of milk and filling the last bowl. Of course, there could not possibly be any left. However, in order to let him know how precisely the case was, she lifted the pitcher and made a gesture as if pouring milk into Quicksilver's bowl, but without the remotest idea that any milk would stream forth. What was her surprise, therefore? when such an abundant cascade fell bubbling into the bowl, that it was immediately filled to the brim and overflowed upon the table. 
the two snakes that were twisted about Quicksilver's staff. But neither Bossis or Philemon happened to observe this circumstance, stretched out their heads and began to lap up the spilt milk. And then what a delicious fragrance the milk had. It seemed as if Philemon's only cow must have pastured that day on the richest herbage that could be found anywhere in the world. I only wish that each of you could have a bowl of such nice milk at supper time. And now a slice of your brown loaf, Mother Bosses, said Quicksilver. And a little of that honey. Bosses cut him a slice accordingly. And though the loaf, when she and her husband ate of it, had been rather too dry and crusty to be palatable, it was now as light and moist as if it had been a few hours out of the oven. Tasting a crumb which had fallen on the table, she found it more delicious than bread ever was before, and could hardly believe that it was a loaf of her own kneading and baking. Yet, what other loaf could it possibly be? But oh, the honey, I may just as well let it alone without trying to describe how exquisitely it smelt and looked. Its colour was that of the purest and most transparent gold, and it had the odour of a thousand flowers, but of such flowers as never grew in an earthly garden, and to seek which the bees must have flown high above the clouds. The wonder is that after alighting on a flower bed of so delicious fragrance and immortal bloom, they should have been content to fly down again to their hive in Philemon's garden. Never was such honey tasted, seen, or smelt. The perfume floated around the kitchen and made it so delightful that had you closed your eyes, you would have instantly forgotten the low ceiling and smoky walls and have fancied yourself in an arbor with celestial honeysuckles creeping over it. Although good Mother Bossis was a simple old dame, she could not but think that there was something rather out of the common way in all that had been going on. So after helping the guests to bread and honey, and laying a bunch of grapes by each of their plates, she sat down by Philemon and told him what she had seen in a whisper. Did you ever hear the like? asked she. No, I never did, answered Philemon with a smile. And I rather think, my dear old wife, you have been walking about in a sort of dream. If I had poured out the milk, I should have seen through the business at once. There happened to be a little more in the pitcher than you thought, that is all. Ah, husband, said Bossus, say what you will. These are very uncommon people. Well, well, replied Philemon, still smiling. Perhaps they are. They certainly do look as if they had seen better days, and I am heartily glad to see them making so comfortable a supper. Each of the guests had now taken his bunch of grapes upon his plate. Bossus, who rubbed her eyes in order to see them more clearly, was of the opinion that the clusters had grown larger and richer, and that each separate grape seemed to be on the point of bursting with ripe juice. It was entirely a mystery to her how such grapes could ever have been produced from the old stunted vine that climbed against the cottage wall. Very admirable grapes, these, observed Quitsilver, as he swallowed one after another, without apparently diminishing his cluster. Pray, my good host, whence did you gather them? From my own vine, answered Philemon. You may see one of its branches twisting across the window yonder. But wife and I never thought the grapes very fine ones. 
I never tasted better, said the guest. Another cup of this delicious milk, if you please. And I shall then have supped better than a prince. This time, old Philemon bestirred himself and took up the pitcher, for he was curious to discover whether there was any reality in the marvels which Baucis had whispered to him. He knew that his good old wife was incapable of falsehood, and that she was seldom mistaken in what she supposed to be true. But this was so very singular a case that he wanted to see it with his own eyes. On taking up the pitcher, therefore, he slyly peeped into it, and was fully satisfied that it contained not so much as a single drop. All at once, however, he beheld a little white fountain, which gushed up from the bottom of the pitcher, and speedily filled it to the brim with foaming and deliciously fragrant milk. It was lucky that Philemon, in his surprise, did not drop the miraculous pitcher from his hand. Who are ye, wonder-working strangers, cried he, even more bewildered than his wife had been. Your guests, my good Philemon, and your friends, replied the elder traveller, in his mild, deep voice, that had something at once sweet and awe-inspiring in it. Give me likewise a cup of milk, and may your pitcher never be empty for kind bosses and yourself, any more than for the needy wayfarer. The supper being now over, the strangers requested to be shown to their place of repose. The old people would gladly have talked with them a little longer, and have expressed the wonder which they felt, and their delight at finding the poor and meagre supper prove so much better and more abundant than they had hoped. But the elder traveller had inspired them with such reverence that they dared not ask him any questions. And when Philemon drew Quicksilver aside and inquired how, under the sun, a fountain of milk could have got into an old earthen pitcher, this latter personage pointed to his staff. There is the whole mystery of the affair, quoth Quicksilver, and if you can make it out, I'll thank you to let me know. I can't tell what to make of my staff. It's always playing such odd tricks as this, sometimes getting me a supper, and quite as often stealing it away. If I had any faith in such nonsense, I should say the stick was bewitched. He said no more, but looked so slyly in their faces that they rather fancied he was laughing at them. The magic staff went hopping at his heels as Quicksilver quitted the room. When left alone, the good old couple spent some little time in conversation about the events of the evening, and then lay down on the floor and fell asleep fast. They had given up their sleeping room to the guests, and had no other bed for themselves save these planks, which I wish had been so soft as their own hearts. The old man and his wife were stirring betimes in the morning, and the strangers likewise arose with the sun and made their preparations to depart. Philemon hospitably entreated them to remain a little longer until bosses could milk the cow and bake a cake upon the hearth and perhaps find them a few fresh eggs for breakfast. The guests, however, seemed to think it better to accomplish a good part of their journey before the heat of the day should come down. They therefore persisted in setting out immediately, but asked Philemon and Baucis to walk forth with them a short distance and show them the road which they were to take. So they all four issued from the cottage, chatting together like old friends. It was very remarkable indeed how familiar the old couple insensibly grew with the elder traveller, and how their good and simple spirits melted into his 
even as two drops of water would melt into the ocean. And as for Quicksilver, with his keen, quick, laughing wits, he appeared to discover every little thought that but peeped into their minds before they suspected it themselves. They sometimes wished, it is true, that he had not been quite so quick-witted, and also that he would fling away his staff, which looked so mysteriously mischievous, with the snakes always writhing about it. But, then again, Quicksilver showed himself so very good-humoured that they would have rejoiced to keep him in their cottage, staff, snakes, and all, every day, and the whole day long. Ah, me, well a day, exclaimed Philemon, when they had walked a little way from their door. If our neighbours only knew what a blessed thing it is to show hospitality to strangers, they would tie up all their dogs and never allow their children to fling another stone. It is a sin and shame for them to behave so. That it is, cried good old bosses, vehemently. And I mean to go this very day and tell some of them what naughty people they are. I fear, remarked Quicksilver, slyly smiling, that you will find none of them at home. The elder traveller's brow just then assumed such a grave, stern and awful grandeur, yet serene withal, that neither Bossus nor Philemon dared to speak a word. They gazed reverently into his face, as if they had been gazing at the sky. When men do not feel towards the humblest stranger as if he were a brother, said the traveller, in tones so deep that they sounded like those of an organ, they are unworthy to exist on earth which was created as the abode of a great human brotherhood. And, by the by, my dear old people, cried Quicksilver, with the liveliest look of fun and mischief in his eyes, where is this same village that you talk about? On which side of us does it lie? Methinks I do not see it hereabouts. Philemon and his wife turned towards the valley, where, at sunset, only the day before, they had seen the meadows, the houses, the gardens, the clumps of trees, the wide green margin street with children playing in it, and all the tokens of business, enjoyment, and prosperity. But what was their astonishment? There was no longer any appearance of a village. Even the fertile vale and the hollow of which it lay had ceased to have existence. In its stead, they beheld the broad, blue surface of a lake, which filled the great basin of the valley from brim to brim, and reflected the surrounding hills in its bosom with as tranquil an image as if it had been there ever since the creation of the world. For an instant, the lake remained perfectly smooth. Then, a little breeze sprang up and caused the water to dance, glitter and sparkle in the early sunbeams, and to dash with a pleasant rippling murmur against the hither shore. The lake seemed so strangely familiar that the old people were greatly perplexed and felt as if they could only have been dreaming about a village having lain there. But the next moment they remembered the vanished dwellings and the faces and characters of the inhabitants far too distinctly for a dream. The village had been there yesterday and now was gone. Alas, cried these kind-hearted old people, what has become of our poor neighbours? They exist no longer as men and women, said the elder traveller in his grand and deep voice, while a roll of thunder seemed to echo it at a distance. There was neither use nor beauty in such a life as theirs, 
for they never softened or sweetened the hard lot of mortality by the exercise of kindly affections between man and man. They retained no image of the better life in their bosoms. Therefore, the lake, that was of old, has spread itself forth again to reflect the sky. And as for those foolish people, said Quicksilver with his mischievous smile, they are all transformed to fishes. There needed but little change, for they were already a scaly set of rascals and the coldest-blooded beings in existence. So kind, Mother Bosses, whenever you or your husband have an appetite for a dish of boiled trout, he can throw in a line and pull out half a dozen of your old neighbours. Ah, cried Bosses, shuddering. I would not for the world put one of them on the gridiron. No, added Philemon, making a wry face. We could never relish them. As for you, good Philemon, continued the elder traveller, and you, kind bosses, you with your scanty means have mingled so much heartfelt hospitality with your entertainment of the homeless stranger that the milk became an inexhaustible fount of nectar and the brown loaf and the honey were ambrosia. Thus the divinities have feasted at your board of the same viands that supply their banquets on Olympus. You've done well, my dear old friends. Wherefore, request whatever favour you have most at your heart, and it is granted. Philemon and Baucis looked at one another, and then, I know not which of the two it was who spoke, but that one uttered the desire of both their hearts. Let us live together while we live, and leave the world at the same instant when we die for we have always loved one another. Be it so, replied the stranger, with majestic kindness. Now look towards your cottage. They did so, but what was their surprise on beholding a tall edifice of white marble, with a wide-open portal, occupying the spot where their humble residence has so lately stood. There is your home, said the stranger, smiling on both of them. Exercise your hospitality in yonder palace as freely as in the poor hovel to which you welcomed us last evening. The poor old folks fell on their knees to thank him. But behold, neither he nor Quicksilver was there. So Philemon and Baucis took up their residence in the marble palace and spent their time with vast satisfaction to themselves in making everybody jolly and comfortable who happened to pass that way. The milk pitcher, I must not forget to say, retained its marvellous quality of being never empty when it was desirable to have it full. Whenever an honest, good-natured and free-hearted guest took a draught from this pitcher, he invariably found it the sweetest and most invigorating fluid that ever ran down his throat. But if a cross and disagreeable curmudgeon happened to sip, he was pretty certain to twist his visage in a hard knot and pronounce it a pitcher of sour milk. Thus the old couple lived in their palace a great, great while and grew older and older and very old indeed. At length, however, there came a summer morning when Philemon and Bosses failed to meet their parents, as on other mornings, with one hospitable smile overspreading both their pleasant faces, to invite the guests of overnight to breakfast. The guests searched everywhere from top to bottom of the spacious palace, and all to no purpose. But after a great deal of perplexity, they espied, in front of the portal, two venerable trees which nobody could remember to have seen there the day before. Yet there they stood, 
with their roots fastened deep into the soil and a huge breadth of foliage overshadowing the whole front of the edifice. One was an oak and the other a linden tree. Their boughs, it was strange and beautiful to see, were intertwined together and embraced one another so that each tree seemed to live in the other tree's bosom much more than its own. While the guests were marvelling how these trees that must have required at least a century to grow could have come to be so tall and venerable in a single night, a breeze sprang up and set their intermingled boughs astir. And then there was a deep, broad murmur in the air as if the two mysterious trees were speaking. I am old Philemon, murmured the oak. I am old Balsas, murmured the linden tree. But as the breeze grew stronger, the trees both spoke at once. Philemon, Balsas, Balsas, Philemon. As if one were both and both were one, and talking together in the depths of their mutual heart. It was plain enough to perceive that the good old couple had renewed their age and were now to spend a quiet and delightful hundred years or so, Philemon as an oak and Baucis as a linden tree. And oh, what a hospitable shade did they fling around them. Whenever a wayfarer paused beneath it, he heard a pleasant whisper of the leaves above his head and wondered how the sound should so much resemble words like these. Welcome, welcome, dear traveller, welcome. And some kind of soul that knew what would have pleased old Balsas and old Philemon best built a circular seat round both their trunks, where for a great while afterwards the weary and the hungry and the thirsty used to repose themselves and quaff milk abundantly out of the miraculous pitcher. Good night. <laughs>